0: July the 22nd was a a, a wonderful day. Um, Just a few weeks ago, I was celebrating 40 years in the ministry. And we had such a tremendous service, such a fantastic service. So many people came here to the lectern to testify to what God is doing in their lives. I had no time to preach. It really was the kind of service that should happen every Sunday morning. So I had to put the sermon back in the fridge. And in true Blue Peter style, here is one I made earlier. We're just um, going back to those two verses from Matthew 5 that Graham has just read to us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, straight away, we have to ask the question... What does Jesus mean by meek? Now, better minds than mine have thought about this. So let me quote you just three very briefly. The first is a man of whom you may not have heard. His name is Albert Barnes. He was a 19th century American Bible scholar. And I found him particularly helpful because he relates what he says to the scriptures and parallels what he's saying with Jesus and Paul's experience. He says this. Meekness is patience in the reception of injuries. It is not meanness, nor a surrender of our rights, nor cowardice, but it is the opposite of sudden anger, of malice, of long-harbored vengeance. The Lord Jesus insisted on his right after the high priest had struck him, And said, if I said something wrong, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And Paul asserted his right when the magistrates in Philippi told him to leave the city quietly. And he refused, saying, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. Now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Meekness produces Peace. It is proof of greatness, true greatness of soul. It comes from a heart too great to be moved by little insults. It looks upon those who offer them with pity. He that is constantly ruffled, that suffers every little insult or injury to throw him off his guard and raise a storm of passion within, is at the mercy of every mortal that chooses to disturb him. As Isaiah the prophet says, he is like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mud and mire. <laughs> and meekness is the opposite of that. Second quotation comes from even further back in history, from the 16th century, from Matthew Henry. Blessed are the meek. The meek are those Who quietly submit to God, who can bear insult, are silent, or return a soft answer. Who in their patience keep possession of their souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. And the third quotation comes from William Barclay. Now, I don't usually quote William Barclay, but I will on this occasion, because his translation of Matthew 5, 5 is absolutely Peerless, he says this, Oh, the bliss of those whose strength is in their gentleness. They shall have the earth for their possession. It's a lovely idea, isn't it? That gentleness and meekness are what Jesus is talking about. So in what sense do the gentle, do the meek inherit the earth? St. Augustine has a useful thought here. He says, Wicked men may delight themselves in the abundance of cattle and riches, but the meek man delights himself in the abundance of peace. What he possesses, he possesses with inward serenity and peace. You see, I don't think Jesus was talking about material things when he said that the meek will inherit the earth. Um, You will know, I expect, because you read the newspapers and you watch the television, that a couple in Haverhill in Suffolk have won the Euro Millions Lottery, £148 million. It's the kind of sum you get in the budget, isn't it? You know, you think that George Osborne or someone is going to stand and talk about £148 million. What are those dear folk going to inherit? What are they going to experience? Well, please God, they, they will experience some measure of peace and joy, and satisfaction. But I believe that they're going to inherit a tremendous amount of heartache as well. Well, we just have to leave them with God, but Jesus isn't talking about that. No, he isn't talking about that. I believe what he meant is that when we finally come to sum up our lives, if you like, when we tot up the the amount of our possessions and look back on what we've accomplished, it won't be the size of our bank balance or our status in other people's eyes that matter. Instead, it will be the extent to which we have been a blessing to others. After all, what does possession mean? You may have some money tucked away or a few valuable pieces of furniture or jewelry, but do you really possess them? When a very rich man died at his funeral service, someone asked the minister, how much did he leave? And the minister said, well, (laughs) he left everything. (laughs) Whatever we possess, whatever we possess, we are only stewards. When we die, we'll be possessed by someone else. As we grow older, dear friends, what should make us happy deep down in our hearts is not the figure on the bank statement, but the assurance that we're valued by family, by friends, by fellow believers, and most of all, by the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And the knowledge of that is worth more than anything earthly riches could ever provide. Okay, we come to the second beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Now, not very many of us here will ever have known what it really means to be hungry. Oh, yes, I know that economic times are hard and getting harder. Witness the need for the food bank here in Haywards Heath. But thank God we don't yet see people starving on the streets. Even so, people do starve in other parts of the world, and by now, our consciences should have been awakened to their need because we've been bombarded by this terrible truth for decades now. I shall never forget the effect that Colin Morris's book, Include Me Out, had on me when it was written in the 1960s. He'd been a missionary in what was then Rhodesia and one day had heard the report of a young African man who'd been found dead at the roadside and at the, the post-mortem. All that was found in his stomach Was a ball of grass and the chewed remains of the top of a ballpoint pen. And that moved Colin Morris to write this incredibly angry little book. Really, the title, Include Me Out, was only half a quotation, half of what he wanted to say. What he really wanted to say is if that's what our concern for the poor, really means then include me out, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, Jesus was talking about spiritual things and that beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled, has a spiritual dimension. Yes, it does and we're going to come on to that in just a moment. But we cannot spiritualize everything. We cannot spiritualize everything. Do you remember the words that Jesus said in Matthew as they're recorded in Matthew chapter 25? And these words challenge me every time I read them. And please, God, they will challenge you. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of these, the least you did not do for me. Many people in this church give generously to fund and other organizations which are seeking actively to meet people's material need. I don't want to bear down on anyone. But I know, too, that these words about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, although they have a spiritual meaning, and we'll come on to that just in a second, they also have a practical material sense, and we cannot ignore that. And call ourselves Christians because one day, one day, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will say, How many times did you read that parable in Matthew chapter 25? And what does it mean to you? Okay, let's think about the spiritual dimension to Jesus' words. Another person I've quoted uh, many times was Alexander White a Scottish minister in the early years of the 19th century. He had a very keen sense of his own unworthiness, and one day as he stood greeting the congregation after a service, a kind lady thanked him profusely for the sermon. It's the kind of thing lovely people like you are always doing. Maybe a bit crackers, but anyway, that's what you do. Anyway, she thanked him for the sermon, and he grasped her hand And he said, Madam, if if you could look into my heart, you'd spit in my face. In other words, if you really knew my spiritual state, state, you wouldn't give me compliments on a Sunday morning. Now, that wasn't the response she was expecting. But it shows how far he felt he was from God, how aware he was of the corruption in his soul. All the same, he was a godly man, used remarkably to bring people to Christ. He was conscious of his own need of forgiveness, and he longed to live a holy life. In other words, he hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Now, you may not share the depth of his conviction of sin, but I hope, please God, you're not satisfied with where you are in relation to God, where you stand. Please God, I hope you want to make progress Speaking for myself, I know I'm very much a work in progress. But you see, we have that wonderful verse, don't we, that Graham read to us from Philippians chapter 1. Let me take it from verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first time until now. Being confident of this... That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, he will. But do we want that progress? Do we want it to be thoroughly finished? How much do we want to make progress? Are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Do we want to know more of God? Do we want to understand his nature? Do we want to be open to his spirit? How thirsty are we? These last few days, I've drunk a great deal more water than I normally drink, and I dare say you have. I've put a jug in the fridge so that I've got some nice ice-cool water, and it's wonderful, isn't it, on a hot day to come in and open it up and pour a glass of water and drink, because quenching your thirst is a wonderful experience. How thirsty are we? To know God. For God to have more scope in our lives. More space to do what he wants to do. How thirsty are we? I was saying earlier on, quoting from R.A. Torrey about revivals. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if revival started here? Well, how thirsty are we for it? How much... Do we long for it I'm sure you know the old proverb hunger and hunger sorry, hunger is the best source. Hunger is the best source. You enjoy your food much more when your stomach is empty. On September the eighth we're going to have a gathering. We're going to get the whole of the congregation, church members, members and friends, worshipers, regular worshipers, together, and we're going to challenge ourselves as to how far we've moved on since our weekend away at Pilgrim Hall. We can't let the momentum that we experienced there run into the sand. We've got to challenge ourselves. Are we using the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How much are we prepared to give in terms of our time and our talent and our treasure To the work of the kingdom. Are we really hungering and thirsting. That God should continue his work in our lives. Thomas Watson. The Puritan writer. Mentions. Two things. With which God fills the hungry soul. He says first. The hungry soul is filled with grace. Grace which meets our immediate need. Do you feel a need of forgiveness this morning? Gosh I do. Do you feel a need of strength? Do you feel a need of power to overcome temptation? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, if you're hungry, God will fill your life with grace, which meets your immediate need. And then Romans 15:13, Thomas Watson points out, he will fill the hungry soul with joy and peace. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and hope as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we want, friends? You know, don't you, that the church is always only one generation away from extinction. You know that, don't you? There's no guarantee that in 25, 50 years' time, this church will still be here. No guarantee whatever. Because we are in a hostile world, but we have a great God who longs to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to revive us, to fill you with all joy and hope as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is available to us. That is God's will for us, that we should overflow with joy and hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, how much do we want it? How hungry and thirsty are we?